Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Thank you for spending part of your day with us. Today, Greg Patton is living in today's world, and we begin to look at the gods of Ground Zero. We recently launched our brand new Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter, delivered to thousands of inboxes every week with the latest on current events in Bible prophecy and special video messages from our speakers. This twice-a-week e-newsletter has been well-received with feedback stating how much people appreciate the articles and devotionals that are in each e-newsletter. The Moment of Prophecy e-newsletter is free of charge. You can sign up today by visiting our website, swrc.com. That's swrc.com. Special announcement now for all of our new listeners. Make sure you get our free new listener pack. In each new listener pack is a welcome letter with history about the ministry, the latest issue of the Prophetic Observer, and a free gift. Get your free new listener pack by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Did you know the Bible tells us exactly where the original Garden of Eden was located? Have you ever wondered what really happened in the Garden? Author Carl Gallups is here to show how the Bible answers these and many more questions about the mysteries surrounding the Garden of Eden. The Bible says in Genesis 3.1, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Joining me on the Watchman on the Wall to discuss the serpent, Adam and Eve, the Garden of Eden, and even the trees in the garden is Pastor Carl Gallups. Pastor Carl is senior pastor of Hickory Hammock Baptist Church in Milton, Florida, and he's the best-selling author of The Summoning, Gods and Thrones, Gods of the Final Kingdom, and the book that we're going to talk about today, Gods of Ground Zero. Pastor Carl, welcome. Thanks so much for joining me. Hey, James, it's my honor. Thank you for having me on. This is one of my favorite topics, actually, so I'm really looking forward to it. I read Gods of Ground Zero again over the weekend. It's a great book. It's a page-turner. For the most part, it seems that we have relegated Genesis chapter 3 to the stuff of kids' books. However, on the second page of Gods of Ground Zero, you write, the third chapter of Genesis happens to be the foundational platform for the entire biblical message, including the gospel itself. Why, uh, Pastor Carl, is Genesis 3 so foundational? The short answer is this. Genesis 3 tells us after everything was created and it was declared good, it doesn't give us a time gap. In other words, it doesn't say, now, a hundred years later, so-and-so, or now, the next day the serpent came, or it just says, all right, now, here's something that happened that explains everything. It explains what your world is like and what the future world's going to be like and where we're headed and why we're headed there and why Jesus had to come to the cross and why... Satan's kingdom has to be defeated, and how Satan's kingdom got started, and why there's so much corruption and disease and death and destruction in the world. So it is the pivotal chapter, but watch this. So when we come to chapter 3, we are told, now the serpent was the most crafty of everything God had made, etc., etc., and we'll get into that later. But then it ends with 
basically the curtain to that dimension of paradise, which I describe quite a bit in my book, what that means. But it's dropped. In other words, the Garden of Eden has never gone away. It has always existed, but God put cherubim, and a dimensional divide, if you will, a dimensional portal was closed to, it's cut off to the sinful world. So that's in Genesis 3. Mm-hmm. Now, the last chapter, actually the last two chapters of the book of Revelation, describe the restoration of the Garden of Eden. I mean, it's amazing, because the last two chapters talk about, I heard from the throne of God a voice, and he said, Behold, now all things are made new. No more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more disease, no more mourning, no more crying. Everything is made new. And then the very next chapter begins describing the existence of that eternal creation and the throne of God and the river of life that flows from it, and the tree of life is there. In fact, Jesus says earlier in Revelation, in one of the letters to the seven churches, he says, their inheritance will be paradise, comma, where the tree of life is. Mm-hmm. So even then, Jesus was saying, it's never gone away. So Genesis 3, the opening pages of Genesis talk about the fall. The last pages of the scripture talk about the restoration. So everything in between is the story, his story, history. It's the story of what happened because of the fall and what God did about it. Well, now there's an old real estate quote that says, location, location, location. So let's talk about the location of the Garden of Eden. Now, I served as an Army chaplain, and I was deployed to Iraq several times. And one time when I was in Iraq, I traveled to Al-Kuma, which is 47 miles north of Basra in southern Iraq. Now, the Muslims believe that the Garden of Eden was there. There's an old dead tree in the center of the village that they say is Adam's tree or the tree of life. They will even sell you a T-shirt that says, I visited the Garden of Eden. But I'm telling you, Iraq did not look like the Garden of Eden at all to me. (laughs) And you say in your book that the Garden of Eden was located someplace else. Where was the Garden of Eden located? Yeah, the Bible's very clear. The last chapter of Revelation basically sets us up. But, I mean, there's from the Old Testament through the New Testament, the Bible is clear. The Garden of Eden was what is now in the location of the surrounding area and the focal point of the very center of it, Jerusalem. And again, when we get to the last chapter of Revelation, it's called the New Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. and it's called the Garden of Eden. The Tree of Life is there. The River of Life is there. The Throne of God is there. I mean, it's Jerusalem. The Bible tells us. And that's not the only places that it tells us that. And my book outlines all of that and the ancient Jewish understanding, as well as many scholarly attestations to this. I mean, geographical, historical, archaeological, biblical, theological, scholarly works that say, yeah, it's obviously it's got to be in and around the area of Jerusalem. Now, when you consider what's the focal point of the New Testament, Well, it's all over Judea and Galilee and all of that, for sure, that Jesus' ministry, but what was the focal point of Jesus' life? Bethlehem, five miles from Jerusalem, where the sheep were herded by the priestly shepherds to bring to the temple every day for sacrifice. And then where did Jesus' life end? 
in downtown Jerusalem, probably on the Mount of Olives, and that's a whole other book that I've got coming, but at least in the area of downtown Jerusalem. But what did that entail? It entailed his triumphal entry. It entailed a week of basically three or four days in the temple courts. Then it entailed his crucifixion in and around that area right there in Jerusalem. And then it involved his resurrection. And then it involved his ascension on the Mount of Olives, the highest mountain overlooking Jerusalem. Then when he comes back, he's coming back to the Mount of Olives. That's where his throne will be established. That's where the great white throne of judgment will take place, the judgment of the nations. Jerusalem right in the center. And then Revelation 22 says that this is the new heaven, the new earth, the new what? Jerusalem, not the new Iraq. (laughs) Not the new Nile River region in Africa. No, the new Jerusalem where the tree of life is. So the Bible is clear when you know what you're looking for. And I've just barely brushed the surface of the biblical evidence for it. But it's interesting that you said that in Basra, in that area that the Muslims were saying this was the Garden of Eden, and here's Adam's tree. (laughs) And, of course, you said said they'll even sell you a T-shirt. Well, yeah, it's a tourist thing. For the longest, they didn't have the possession of Israel and Jerusalem. But here's what's interesting and counterintuitive to their claim of Basra. On the Temple Mount... And boy, I talk about that a lot in this book, because the Temple Mount is ground zero. Jerusalem is ground zero. Mm -hmm. On the Temple Mount is what is called in the Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew, Evan Hashtia. Evan Hashtia. And it means the foundation rock upon which the earth was formed. If you will go to the Temple Mount Institute today, which I was just there a couple of years ago before COVID closed everything down, I was going back and forth to Israel, of course, and go through that presentation from the opening presentation to the last. They say over and over, this is where the Garden of Eden was. This is where Adam was created. This is where he was placed. This is the foundational place. So when the temple was destroyed and then eventually occupied by the Islamic world, where did they put one of their most important temples? On the Temple Mount. What do they claim about that temple? It's called the Dome of what? The Rock. The Rock where Abraham sacrificed Isaac. And then there are inscriptions, and I have all this documented in my book, as you know, that this is the central point location of the Garden of Eden. This is the entrance to the Garden of Eden. So it has to have something to do with that Temple Mount and Satan placing his monument on it, claiming it, and Jerusalem. And not only that, but the Bible ends by saying the new Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem where the tree of life is. And it always has been there. It's never been moved. Some of the confusion comes from Genesis 2, where it describes the rivers coming out of the garden. Now, Eden and the Garden of Eden are often used to describe the same place, but there's a difference in the area of Eden and the Garden of Eden. Would you explain that? In regard to the rivers, and I talk about this in the book and give a lot of archaeological and scholarly evidence to back up what I'm getting ready to say here. In fact, everything I'm saying in this interview, just to make it simpler for your audience, it's all backed up in my book from scholarly references. But I tell people who say, yeah, but the rivers don't line up the same way. Of course they don't. There was an earth-changing thing called the global flood of Noah, and everything was changed. More than likely, there were even the breaking up of continents, Mm -hmm. continental ships, and earthquakes. The earth ripped open, and geysers of water came up, and the 
firmament fell from above, and everything changed. So we can't really go by that for today's world, but we can go by what the Scripture says. And I've already said a bunch of it, and my book says it as well. Now, the area of Eden is a geographical area, and the Bible is clear, and the scholars attest to it, and the ancient Jewish scribes and teachers ascribe to it, that it's a region that God set out. He created the heavens and the earth. He created the universe. Then he created the earth. Then the reason he created the earth, so different from everything else, so beautiful and lush and filled with life and color and sunlight and the temperature is perfect and the distance from the sun is perfect. Why? To maintain life of all sorts. Why? Because this is where he put his throne among his living creation and it is where he intended for what we would call the angelic life or the divine being, because we're separated from that dimension right now, separated by sin. It's going to be restored. The book of Ephesians says that, chapter 1, verse 9, Behold, the mystery of God's will is made known to us. God is in the process of restoring everything in heaven and everything on earth back together again under the head Jesus Christ. And the book of Revelation ends by saying that. So Eden was this huge region for the purpose of fellowship between what we call the angelic realm, which had already been created, they were there when Adam was brought to life, Job says, and the fellowship between them and the new life he was creating in his image, that of what we now call humanity. And in the beginning, we're told, Adam and Eve were not supposed to die. They were supposed to be fruitful and multiply, and there was no death, there was no pain. And this was the place God walked with them in the cool of the evening. Satan came into the garden. He was a divine cherub, Ezekiel 28 says, the guardian of the garden. Adam mm -hmm. and Eve knew who he was. They fellowshiped together. Part of the temptation to Adam and Eve was, if you'll just do this thing, you'll be like the gods, some translations say. Other translations say God, and it's because the word Elohim can be singular or plural depending upon the context. But the point he was making was, look, you fellowship with this realm that was created before you, and I can bring you up to their level. Psalm 8 says that humanity was created just a little lower than the angels. Adam and Eve knew that. Satan's temptation was, I can make you just like us if you will do this thing. So the garden, we're told, was located in a specific spot, kind of in the middle of Eden, this general region of the world, probably encompassed much of what we would now know as the Middle East, which is why there's a little confusion about, well, was it in northern Africa? Was it in Iraq? Was it around Jordan? Was it around Israel? Yeah, Eden was all of that, more than likely. But the Garden of Eden, the Garden was right in the middle. It was Jerusalem yeah. at ground zero. Mm -hmm. And think about this. I write about this in my book. Where did Jesus go to turn everything back over, humanly speaking? He went to a garden of Gethsemane mm -hmm. at the foot of the Mount of Olives, just outside the Temple Mount. He knelt down and prayed. Think of this. In the Garden of Eden, Satan, Adam, and Eve effectively and collectively shook their fist in God's face and said, not your will, but ours. Jesus reversed the curse, knelt in the face of Satan's continual temptations, and he said, not my will in the flesh. I'm the new Adam. Paul says he's the second Adam, the second Adam. I am convinced when Jesus knelt and said, not my will, 
but yours, O Lord, my Father. I'm convinced he was in or near the spot where the fall took place. He was turning it back over to heaven's throne. He reversed the curse. He had the authority to do that. He was the second Adam. Now, there are others that agree with me, and I've got them documented in my book. I do not stand dogmatically there. I don't break fellowship with somebody if they believe otherwise. But I just see and understand Jerusalem is the center of everything. Ezekiel 5.5 says, I have made Israel, Jerusalem. He said, I have put Jerusalem in the center of the nations. It is ground zero, my friend, and I'm just convinced that this is why there's such a demonic struggle over it now and will be in the very last days when the armies of the world surround Jerusalem. That's Luke 21, Zechariah 12, and Zechariah 14. Well, I'm sure that our listeners will want to have their own copy of this book, Gods of Ground Zero, and you can get a copy by calling 1-800-652-1144, or you can order online at swrc.com. If you want to understand the spiritual battle, then you need this book, you need this study. Pastor Carl, thanks again for being on with me today. Oh, it's my pleasure, James. Thank you for having me, and God bless you and your audience. This fascinating discussion will continue next time. Get your own copy of the complete conversation with Carl Gallups by calling 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or visit swrc.com. I want to encourage you to visit our website now with over 800 items. New items are being added almost every day. swrc.com. Resources by Tom Horn, Billy Crone, Jonathan Kahn, Carl Gallups, James Collins, and many, many more. Hundreds of books and DVDs right there for you. SWRC.com. That's SWRC.com. And when you visit the website, be sure and register for our virtual prophecy conference. Great speakers that are all online. Billy Crone, Bill Federer, Eric Barger, Michael Hoggard, Greg Patton, James Collins, Larry Stam, Dr. Kenneth Hill, and Larry Spargimino. You can watch all the sessions when you want, as often as you want, from the comfort of your home. Watch anytime between October 29th through November the 6th. Register today for our Fall Virtual Prophecy Conference, swrc.com, and click on Conferences. That's swrc.com. You know, we're able to be here each day because of your prayers and financial support. When you purchase a book or DVD, when you register for a conference, you're helping us spread the truth that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. Thank you. Author Greg Patton is back now with another installment of Living in Today's World. I don't know when I first learned this, but I've used it a great deal in my messages in the last few years. Whatever you're going through in your life right now, the question should be, how can I best glorify God in this thing? William Barclay said this, endurance is not just the ability to bear a hard thing, and, and maybe you are today, but to turn that into glory. Second Timothy chapter four, first five verses talk about battles here. Are you in one today? 
Perhaps it's a financial conflict, and many people are there today. And maybe there's some dissension with a family member, having trouble with your spouse, your kids, brother, sister. You wish you could understand all the details of what's going on here, but you cannot determine the wisest way to handle this thing. There's so many battles in life for you and me, and some of them are physical battles. Others are emotional battles, psychological things going on. Many the spiritual warfare thing that we have talked a great deal about in the last few months. When trouble comes, your best course, obviously, is found in following Almighty God. He knows exactly. He's the only one that does. He knows exactly what you're up against. He knows more than you, obviously. Some things, especially those involving relationships, rarely are solved overnight. No, they're not. Patience and faith are key players in finding just the right solution to this problem. Think about how many military commanders handle a battle. Rarely do they move without a plan of action. And often the battles we face are strategically allowed by God to increase our dependence on Him. It's not unusual for the Lord to allow us to run ourselves ragged, so to speak, until we admit that we need His wisdom You need it, you're supposed to ask him for it. Now, if this describes your situation, then it's time for you to acknowledge your need of the Lord. After Christ's death, the disciples went through a very discouraging time, didn't they? Peter, James, Andrew, they returned to their nets and their fishing boats. And what a surprise it was to hear Jesus calling them from the shoreline in John 21. They were right there. They were at the end of themselves, maybe where you are today, and they certainly needed the Savior. And the question has to be, are you at this point right now? And then another question we may have has to do with the will of God. It's been said, I think George Truitt said this, to know the will of God is the greatest knowledge, and to do the will of God is the greatest achievement in life. We know in the Bible there are plenty of examples of people who believe they should do one thing when God has another idea in mind. Now, that wouldn't be you, would it? This was the case with the Apostle Peter. When Jesus found him, he was totally engulfed in his work. A workaholic? Yeah. He believed that the Sea of Galilee was where he belonged, and yet Jesus knew differently, didn't he? Peter was a hard worker. He was very committed. He was loyal to those who worked alongside him, and he also had a longing for the Messiah to come. Some scholars believe that he was a zealot. That was a religious faction that was ready, if necessary, to physically fight for Israel's freedom from the Roman rule. However, Jesus' plan for Peter's life did not include overthrowing the government. No, it consisted of overthrowing the hearts for the glory of Almighty God. It took Peter years to get a hold of this principle. After Jesus died, he desperately tried to regain control by returning to his fishing boat and returning to the nets, but everything was so empty without Jesus. And God did not allow Peter to fall back into his old ways, did he? He came to him and reminded him that he was Peter, the rock, It was the hearts and the lies like his that Jesus would establish his church on this earth. And so it is for you today, my Christian friend. God has a major plan for your life. Are you following it? 
It may be different than the one you envision right now. The key to great blessings is being willing to adjust your plan to God's plan or God's will in this case. And if you do this, you know what? You're going to find contentment is going to flow throughout your life like never before. This whole thing, maybe for the first time in your life, is really going to work. And that is one fantastic message. And beloved, it really does start here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You know, for some of you listening to this program, are not saved. You know it. God knows it. And I'm not sure what the hesitation is. Believe. Go to God. Ask him to forgive you of your sins and invite Jesus Christ into your life. Just do it, as I so often say. And then let God lead. What is the question mark? If Satan can delay you one more day, today might be your last day on earth. You never know. Oftentimes when I'm preaching, I think that very thought. This might be my last message ever. Was it a good one? Those of you listening right now, if this is your last day on earth, are you ready to meet him? D.L. Moody said it. The voice of sin may be very loud, but the voice of forgiveness is louder, and God is ready today to meet you. Are you ready? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't hesitate another minute. Bow your head right there. Ask God to forgive you of your sins and invite Jesus Christ into your life. It's in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Do it today. Carl Gallup's Gods of Ground Zero uncovers long-buried truth. What is the full truth of why the Garden of Eden was created in the first place? Did Jesus reveal deep secrets about the Garden of Eden? Exactly what is it that Satan and the demonic realm is so desperately trying to hide from us? And how does what happened in the Garden directly relate to today's world, our personal lives, our walk with the Lord, and where eternity is actually headed? The Bible actually reveals the explosive answers to all of these questions and so many more like them. Now, you'll know the important truth. Gods of Ground Zero by Carl Gallups is available today for a gift of $20 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order online, swrc.com. We also have the DVD set, The Seeds. In the DVD set, Pastor Michael Hoggard lays the foundation for understanding the prophetic importance of the seed. That's the seed of the woman versus the seed of the serpent. Get this important DVD set for a gift of $30 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144 or online swrc.com. You can get both the book, Gods of Ground Zero, and the DVD set, The Seeds, together for a gift of $35 or more when you call 1-800-652-1144. You can always order online, swrc.com. 
Tomorrow on Watchmen on the Wall, Carl Gallops will return with more insight into the mystery surrounding the Garden of Eden, and Pastor Larry Spargimino debuts his explosive new book about the COVID-19 crisis. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station or by subscribing to our daily podcast. Watchmen on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.